Chapter 46 For seven days and seven nights, our bodies, minds, and souls did not communicate with anything but each other, not needing anything in the outer world. I was her universe and she was mine. The apartment I lived in at the time on Johnson Avenue within earshot of the Spite and Dival Station on the Metro North Line became the center of our planetary system. We made love morning, noon, and night, joining all our body parts in sensual and sometimes funny ways. Eyes, mouths, fingers, toes, hair, lips, breasts, ears, and noses. Everything became part of our lovemaking, be it eating, shaving, reading, napping, or bathing. Even when we lay exhausted next to each other in total silence, we were astounded by the exhilaration that we felt in each other's peaceful presence. We were two love addicts who couldn't get enough of our own high. The telephone was unplugged and only used to order takeout that was delivered to my front door. The television was never turned on and my mail was left to accumulate in the metal box down in the lobby. Come early Monday morning, I decided to plug my telephone back into its wall socket in the living room. Then I went to the window, looked out, and opened it up a little for some fresh air. Immediately, the far-off urban cacophony outside seeped inside our nest, a blend of parents screaming at their children, taxis honking, sirens screeching, and buses cruising by. From the living room window, I caught a glimpse of the Harlem River and the college skull crews out there rowing upstream. Quickly as I could, I closed the window tight because Louisa was still sleeping, and I didn't want her to be disturbed. I plugged the TV in, but refused to turn it on so that we could be spared the horrendous news that most certainly awaited us. My phone started ringing. I picked up the receiver and instantly put it down again. I buried the entire phone under a big pillow on the couch to muffle the next caller. I glanced back at Louisa, still asleep on my king-size mattress on the floor, her face a postcard of tranquility and loveliness after all our ecstasy. The damn phone starts ringing again, and just from the sound of it I knew there's an emergency coming my way. It's a lawyer thing, I have no doubt. I can smell bad news from thousands of miles away. I wish I had remained asleep next to my love goddess instead of getting up with the sunlight. But now my Nostradamus' device is operating and my fingers are tingling with anxiety. The incessant ringing from the telephone under the pillow is too much to bear. Gotta stop it before Louisa is roused, but I also need to find out who's on the other end and what's the crisis. A little voice inside my head is telling me that this is the end of my love fest with Louisa. I lift the pillow and pick up the receiver. Hello? My voice sounds wary. Hello, hello, Luke, says a female voice on a bad connection. Yes, it's Luke. Who's this? It's Marina, Luke. Can you hear me? Marina, yes, I can hear you. Oh, God, if I'd known it was you calling, I would have picked up sooner. I tried to find out what's going on, but no one has a clue over here. How's everything? I'm sorry to disturb you, Luke, Marina says, her voice full of despair. But I don't have anyone else to call. I've been trying to reach you all week. I was away, I say without qualm. Don't worry, Marina. You're not disturbing me. Never. Any news about Vasya? That's why I'm calling. I'm scared. So scared. Time is running out. If we don't find Vasya soon, they'll kill him. Marina, slow down. Our connection is not good. I push the red button on my answering machine and start recording our conversation for future reference. Luke, are you there? 
Yes, Marina, I'm here. Go ahead. Okay, wait a minute. She says, there are some voices in the background and I hear Marina cursing at somebody. Marina, I'm here. Sorry, Luke. Calling isn't easy. Listen, my Vasya knows too much. He just knows too much. They'll kill him to cover it up. I don't know what else to do. He knows too much about what? The KGB people don't want Vasya out because the same people who have been persecuting him for all these years are now businessmen. They form companies so that they can sell our natural resources to the West. If Vasya talks about who those people really are, it might jeopardize their reputations and disturb their mega-million profits. Okay, I see, Marina. I I'm, I'm not going to let you down, Marina. Nor Vasya. That's a promise. What can I do for you? Tell me how I can help. Find Lev, please, Luke. Find Lev. He's in Calais. He got away. I don't know how, but he knows where Vasya is being held. And the authorities won't ever tell the truth. Finding Lev is my only hope. Calais, France, I say, just to be sure. You mean Lev is in France? Yes. These days, everybody's getting out any way they can. Lev's headed to the UK, then to the US from there, but now he's probably in one of those migrant camps. Okay. What about you, Marina? Marina doesn't answer me. Marina, are you there? I'm calling Nicholas right away. We'll put together all our resources and I'll find Lev. Don't worry. Tell me again when Vasya was arrested. I hear other voices calling Marina, then some banging. Luke, I have to hang up. Someone is knocking on the front door where I am. Bye, Luke. Phone goes dead. I hold on to the receiver, listening to the silence fuming in my head. Fuckers, I mutter to myself. You rotten pieces of shit. Why? Why? I feel Louisa behind me, lacing her arms around my chest, embracing me in the far corner of the living room where I was hoping my voice wouldn't wake her. I turn around and gaze into her beautiful, innocent eyes, looking back at me. All venting on my part is immediately quashed. I feel a deep, warm glow start in the pit of my stomach and radiate through my veins. I rewind the answering machine and we listen to Marina together. Find Lev, please, Luke. Find Lev. He's in Calais. He got away, I don't know how, but he knows where Vasya is being held. Press the stop button on the answering machine and Marina's voice disappears. That's the woman in Russia you told me about, says Louisa. You were so gentle and caring with her. So proud that you're going to help her, I'm about to cry. Look, Louisa, to be perfectly honest, I don't know exactly what I can do. There's a man in Calais who's going to help us. Us, I say with disbelief. This has not got anything to do with us. This is my problem. It's complicated. Your problems are my problems, love cat. I'm going with you to France to find this man in Calais. I do not want you to be involved in this thing, Louisa. These people we're dealing with in Russia are monsters. I'm going with you, she declares, her voice determined and unshakable. If you were tracking a polar bear in the Arctic, I'd be right next to you, too. Unsure of how to handle this fiery woman, I say nothing and light a cigarette. Look, I finally admit, even if I find Lev and he tells us where Vasya is being held, I don't know if I can get him out. We'll figure out a solution, my love, she says, reading my anxiety. There are two of us now. I always wanted to make a difference, and now here's my chance with you all the way. We kiss and touch our foreheads together so we can drink in each other's eyes. Her reassurance is like a warm tropical breeze that comes out of her heart, dispatching my doubts and lifting me above my own fears. Before anybody goes anywhere, I have to call Nicholas and get him and the government up to speed. 
I travel light. You'll see, she says. We fly tomorrow. Chapter 47. I booked two seats to Paris on an Air France flight, departing early the next morning. That night, and again at the crack of dawn before we left for the airport, I called Nicholas. No answer. So I left him a detailed message about Marina's call and my going to France to find Lev. After we checked our bags, I stopped in at a telephone booth in the airport lobby to try Nicholas one more time while Louisa buys bottles of water for the flight. Inside that booth at JFK, there was a lot of graffiti scratched, scribbled, and tagged everywhere you looked. While they spoke to loved ones, the steady procession of callers had inscribed words like love and freedom on every available surface. Most graffiti is treated as lighthearted. But I saw all those tags in a totally different light, like cries for help from dissidents everywhere struggling to free themselves from oppressive regimes. Freedom and love are the great levelers uniting peoples around the world. I finally got Nicholas on the line. He assured me that he had my back with the State Department in Washington and the American Embassy in Paris. But Luke, he warns me, you know about bureaucrats in D.C.? No, I don't, I say. They're your friends, not mine. Dealing with them is part of my job, Luke. They are no one's friends. They're like the wind, sometimes blowing with you, sometimes against you. Tell them we'll need visas and we'll need them fast, and money for tickets, too. Nicholas is silent for a moment, thinking. I see Louisa in the airport lobby about 50 feet from the telephone booth waiting for me. A beautiful smile on her face. She points silently at the watch on her wrist and give her a thumbs up. You know what, Nicholas finally says, let's not dance around with these assholes. I'll take care of all the expenses through my firm and arrange housing and get reimbursed later. Travel safe. I walk over to Louisa and take her in my arms. A kiss, ignoring the flow of passengers hurrying to their gates. I summarize for her the conversation with Nicholas, concluding with, he's never met these people. But just on my word, he's willing to get them airline tickets, arrange visas, house them, feed them, take care of them while they get back on their feet in the States. Doesn't that sort of kindness inspire you? Without a word, Louisa puts her arms around my neck and pulls my face close to hers. She looks at me in silent awe for a moment. You inspire me, she says. She kisses me deeply, ignoring all the people zigzagging around us. They're boarding our flight, I say, when our lips part. They won't leave without us, my love. Yes, they will. Let's get going. I just hope we're not too late to find Lev. Chapter 48 Vasily's arrest was high on the KGB's to-do list for a long time. They had been patient, waiting diligently for the right moment to lock him up. The publication of the non-existent dissidents list in the Washington Post had given them an opportunity, and they seized on it without hesitation. Rightly or not, I felt implicated in Vasily's fate. The Gavashniki arrested him inside his favorite church, the savior on the spilled blood church, named for Tsar Alexander II, who was assassinated in 1881 on this site. Vasya regularly attended morning prayers there, Dressed in their standard uniforms of black leather jackets and dark sunglasses, the KGB strolled into the church that morning with slow, deliberate steps. This evil organization's landmark achievement, its only achievement, was showcasing their absolute power over people, even under the roof of this holy venue. This church was not only a place of worship where people prayed or received communion, 
It was a reservoir of peace and tranquility where people sought quiet respite from their otherwise tragic and miserable daily existence. Their vulnerability made the church the perfect place for the KGB to infiltrate people's heads. Dark fears and challenging the communist system and its apparatuses. Seeing the KGB walk in that morning, Vasya understood this was the end. He quietly looked up at the gold icon of Jesus Christ on the wall and whispered, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. A cold voice from directly behind Vasya's head whispered, Not even he can help you, Svoloch. You can't arrest me here, said Vasya. Then, feeling as if the KGB were tightening a noose around his neck, Vasya jumped up on the church's podium next to the marble altar and screamed out to the other churchgoers, The Bolsheviks are an illegal entity in my country. You, the Bolsheviks, are occupiers of my motherland at the behest of the international globalist secret societies. Your goal is to destroy Mother Russia so you can have your one-world socialistic government. Lenin and Stalin were both mass murderers. Together they have killed more than 20 million of my people. They created a cannibalistic society that eats itself in perpetual cycles. I'm not one of you. As a matter of fact, I have nothing in common with you. As Vasya continued his cantankerous speech, he noticed that worshippers were quietly moving down the aisle away from the pulpit. Clearly terrified, like rats running off a sinking ship, people hurried toward the exits and broke into a panicky retreat once they were outside. The eldest people who couldn't move that fast decided to hide under the pews and behind the altar tables. Comrades, friends, brothers and sisters, do not run away. Don't be afraid of them. If you all run away, who is going to defend our country and fight this devil-worshipping Luciferians? These are the incarnations of the devil. Look how they're dressed. These people exist by drinking our blood. Come and stand next with me. Are you done, Suka? said the commanding KGB officer loudly so everyone in the church could hear him. No one was left in the church, except Vasya and the dozen KGB operatives. The KGB stared silently at Vasya with frigid looks of pity and disgust. I'm not afraid of you. See, I'm very strong because I'm a free man, do you hear me? I said I'm a free man. Shut up, Gadyuka, said the KGB officer. All we have to do is let you talk. Everyone sees clearly now the poison and hatred you harbor in your heart against your country. This is not your country, this is my country. I'm an authentic Russian mushik. You might be speaking in Russian, but you're anything but Russian. You're the lobotomized Praetorian Guard of the Communist Party. Why don't you go ahead and shoot me now? Let's make it easier. Can you give me any sign that I'm actually speaking to a human being? Hey, comrade captain, can I buy you a smile? One last smile, please? If you're pretending that you've gone mad, it won't work this time around, comrade Verbitsky. We have seen you play this game many times before. Not this time, comrade captain. I think I really lost my mind for good. I'm not even sure if I want it back anymore. It's easier to be a madman in this country than a rational citizen. You're on drugs and drunk again, you goddamn alcoholic, said the KGB officer, then turned to his crew. Get this bitch off this high chair and put him in the car. We will continue our conversation in Lubyanka. Let's see if he'll make any speeches over there. The men in sunglasses grabbed Vasya and carried him away while he continued to insult the government and its agents. The KGB officer was the last one out, turning back at the door, calling out to anyone who would listen. Where's the damn priest here? Who let this lunatic into church? 
Are they conspiring with him? Chapter 49. The interrogation room deep inside Lubyanka was a dank, dark gray cubicle whose thick cement walls were discolored from the humidity that relentlessly seeped down from the city's sewers far above. It was so far under the surface of the earth that oxygen was in short supply, making the very act of breathing down there an effort. You could sense the pressure of the entire capital city looming above your head. The ceiling had fine cracks running in every direction, as if at any moment the entire prison would come crashing down, crushing Vazia, its sole occupant, under the incomprehensible weight of its steel-reinforced concrete. The silence down there was suffocating as well, the air heavy with apprehension and forced confessions. Imagining all that room's screams, curses, and cries of despair from decades of tortured prisoners made Vasya's blood run cold. That's why Vasily had a terrible headache. He was sitting on the cold floor of the cell with his eyes closed when the rustle tore The KGB captain pushed Lev into the room and entered behind him. Vasya almost didn't recognize Lev because they had beaten him so badly that his face was disfigured and swollen. Blood was still oozing from the wounds on his scalp. Only Lev's eyes were recognizable on his otherwise unrecognizable face. Lev's right hand was bandaged, but the white gauze around his finger had turned bloody red. Niova, what did this animal do to you? They've pulled out one of my fingernails, Lev said, bursting into tears. Why? Vasya turned to the KGB captain. Why did you do it? Why? We did nothing to him. But he did something very bad to you. Want to see? Without waiting for Vasya to respond, the KGB captain held out a confession signed by Lev. I don't need to read that shit. I don't believe a word of it, said Vasya. You call this guy your friend, said the KGB captain. Here's your name in black and white as the leader of the subversive group called Svoboda. And here's your pal's signature. What a name for a group. Who gave it to you? The Americans? Working for the CIA? Svoboda. Really? Freedom from who, asshole? We need freedom from you. Vasily glanced at the phony document. Niova. Niova, my dear friend. I'm sorry, Vasya, mumbled Lev through swollen lips. They forced me. I'm not upset with you, Niova. Don't worry yourself. What they did to you, it's my fault. KGB captain thrust the confession at Vasily like a sword. Of course it's your fault, Suka. Now it's your turn. Sign it. Vasya suddenly burst into mad laughter. Me? You want me to sign that bullshit? The sound of Vasya's terrifying laughter echoed off the walls and traveled down the hallway, interrupting the otherwise profound silence of Lubyanka's basement. Even in his pain and misery, Leova understood immediately that Vasily's laughter was his swan song. He grabbed the confession out of Vasya's hands and ripped it in half. The KGB officer jumped into action, first kicking his black boot at Lev's bandaged hand, knocking the paper out of his grip. Lev screamed in excruciating pain. Then the captain pinned Lev's bloody bandaged hand to the ground, gradually increasing the pressure with his boot. Pain was unbearable. Lev cried out, his whole body shaking. He looked over at Vasily. Somehow the two old friends managed to lock their gazes with one another. Vasily was going mad in front of Lev's eyes. With an enormous act of willpower, Lev tried to capture one final glimpse of Vasya's sanity. As the 
two men stared into each other's eyes, Lev lost consciousness. A moment later, Vasi was knocked out cold with a powerful blow just above the nape of his neck. When Vasya opened his eyes next, it was hours later. His head ached, evidently from the big black and blue bruise on the back of his head. The cell was empty. All traces of the KGB captain and Lev had evaporated. Out of the habitual silence of Lubyanka, Vasya heard heavy footsteps coming down the hallway approaching the door to his cell. Then a small hatch in the prison door opened, a tray with a bowl of soup was pushed in. Evasia whispered the prison guard in the hallway. We've got a letter under the bowl. Vasya took the tray and put it on the floor, lifting up the tepid bowl of soup. For some unknown reason, the guard was waiting for him to say something in response. Taped to the underside of the soup bowl was a razor blade. Thank you, comrade, said Vasya softly. He turned and looked through the narrow hatchway, seeing the guard's doleful face watching him. The guard said nothing. Vasya read, I'm sorry, in the man's eyes. Vasya stared at the razor blade and looked back at the guard with gratitude. Then the guard's face disappeared as the hatch was shut tight. Vasya turned his attention to the soup bowl, carefully picked up the blade with his left hand and squeezed it firmly against the artery on the back of his right wrist. The incision released a gush of hot blood that ran over his hand, then down his thigh, his knee collecting on the prison floor. Vasya took a deep breath and sliced the razor blade higher up on his right arm, slowly cutting the vein wide open. The blood flowed out. Tears rolled down his cheeks, but they were tears of relief. With his fading energy, Vasya looked upward toward the heavens. God, this must be how freedom feels. I don't know, Vasily. I've never been free myself. God, you're not free? Not at all. Burdened by us all? Yes. At least I will free you from myself. Remember the Queen's song, This Is Our Last Stand? I do. Welcome me, Father. I'm so tired. I'm ready for you, my son. Here I come. I'm almost there. Lost in his thoughts, Vasya switched the razor blade to his bloody right hand and started cutting the veins on his left arm. The blood underneath his feet became deeper and redder. With each breath, Vasily felt his life slipping further and further away. Finally, at the end of that endless road, Vasya held his last breath as long as he possibly could. He had just enough energy to exhale one last time, feeling all the grief and despair, but also all the liberation and peace that comes at the end. Vasya dropped to the floor, his eyes wide open gazing at the large pool of his own blood.